Hi, this is Caden, and this is my daddy's podcast called Lasting Learning. Hi, this is Dave Schmidt, the host of the Lasting Learning Podcast. On this show, we talk to real people with real stories. We focus on the focus and discuss what matters most. Let's go. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Hey guys, thanks for checking out this amazing episode. Just a heads up to you, as you listen to this, you might notice that there are some discrepancies in the audio. When it was being recorded, there were some Wi-Fi issues, I think, in the Chicago land area. So uh, apologize, Charles Williams' audio is a little bit quiet, and at times it is paused. We try our best to make it through with some editing and some technology hacks, but uh, feel free to adjust the volume as necessary. You've been warned. Enjoy, though. Lots of wisdom, lots of truth, lots of amazingness happening regardless. So check it out. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. So glad you decided to tune in this week. And so are you because you have an amazing, amazing guest to listen to today. We've got a guy on who, first of all, I got to I got to put this out here. He's a Chicago fan. I got to put that out there because we're going to have some disagreements. He's going to ruffle my feathers. I know it, but I wanted to just put that out there for full transparency. So you can put this in three times speed if you need to just get this over with. Um, or if you want to just zero in and say, okay, this is kindred spirit. Feel free. We got a guy here who's, who's representing the Chicagoland area. He is just killing it in all things right now. He is, he's a consultant. He's an educator. He is just a dynamic speaker, author, I want to say disruptor, but I feel like that term has been thrown around quite a bit, but he is a guy that brings to the surface the conversations that need to happen. He fights for equity. He wants to remind us of all things involved in education, not just those Pinterest boards, not just the teachers pay teacher. Everything is sparkly and glittery and everything is wonderful. This is a guy that gets in the trenches, tries to change things and tries to remind us of why we do what we do. Today, we've got Charles Williams joining us. Charles, thanks so much for joining us, man. Dave, thank you for having me. I'm so uh, happy and, and excited to finally be able to connect with you. This has been something I've been wanting to do, so I'm excited to be in this space. Yeah, so let's just put that out there. When, when you say we, we're finally connected, first of all, we, you and I have been connected for a little while here, and we were supposed to record this a couple of weeks ago, and then literally, at, I think it was the, the morning of, I had to reach out to you and be like, dude, my voice is a mess right now. <laughs> yeah. Is there any way we can reschedule? And Man, you were just amazing. You're like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. And and for people that are listening right now, we're recording this early in the morning on a Sunday morning. And you're like, let's make it happen. So kudos to you. I appreciate you just on, a, on that personal level. I want to put that out there and let people know that um, you're, you're amazing. And I, I appreciate that flexibility. Yeah, no worries. You know, my, my philosophy is like, you know, education never stops, right? Um, my wife, I think at times wishes that it would for me, but you know, it's the reality is it, it just kind of flows at all times. And so if we need to do this early on a Sunday morning, we do this early on a Sunday morning and we get this conversation out there. No, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. So other than the, the stuff that I just glossed over for you, some people out there, I, I don't know if they just live under a rock or whatever, might not know who you are. So um, before I offend them anymore by reminding them of what they don't know. Can you just unpack this and let it, let us know who are you? What do you do? Um, and then let's, let's start the conversation. So who are you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am kind of all over the place, as you mentioned. Um, I've spent the last 15 years an urban educator. I'm a current K through eight principal on the far west side of Chicago in the Austin neighborhood. Um, and so that has been a phenomenal ride because I very quickly went from teacher, I spent a year as an AP. Um, and then when I was in China, as an AP, trying to build connections with schools over there, I get a call that my principal was resigning. And she was like, you need to step up. I was like, no, 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 no. This was not part of our five-year plan. I was supposed to learn from you. And she's like, you're ready, go for it. Um, so I was an administrator early, early on in my career. And it was scary. And I made so many mistakes. But it has been a wonderful ride along the way, learning and growing. Um, and within the last year or two, things have really taken off. I launched CW Consulting, which is my education consulting firm, where we provide keynotes, workshops, um, and personalized consulting. In um, Stemming from that was a podcast. Uh, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with the punk rock classrooms, Mike Earnshaw, um, but he's a good friend of mine. And we actually met at the Illinois Principal Association Conference. Mm. And I told him, I said, man, I've been listening to your show, love what you're doing. And he just really encouraged me. He said, go out, try it, do it. And between him and, you know, two other, I, you guys may have heard of Che and Pat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah you're talking to my people right here man you got <laughs> chef mike and the staff room folks let's do this yeah exactly you know so they both you know combined said you, you have to go out there you have to make your voice heard um so the po the podcast was launched so in may it'll be a year old um mm -hmm. so it is still in its infancy but it has been a phenomenal experience being able to connect with educators from just all over the place and really being able to dive in and have conversations about things that you know, I'm interested and passionate about. Um, and, and I think having those spaces has really launched, you know, just being able to have these, as you mentioned, these conversations that need to have taken place. My goal this year was to have six speaking engagements. I think I just did number five last year. Um, wow. and, and it's just been a wild ride. And I think the best part, like I'm saying, is I'm just really rooting into who I am and the, my beliefs as an educator and putting that out there. Um, I, I like all the fluff and all the fanciness, but the reality is there's a lot of things in education that get glossed over and we can't do that anymore. And I think the pandemic gave us a great opportunity. And if we're not careful, it's gonna slip through our fingers. And so I'm, I'm fighting really, really hard to keep those conversations alive and well, so we can really address you know, the, the things that are there. Uh, let's see, we, I'm, I'm writing a book for Codebreaker. Um, so Brian and Daphne and I connected over winter break. Um, they came to me and said, hey, you know, we, we love the things you're doing. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're talking because I've had this book kind of formulating in my mind for a while. And so I am in the process right now of writing Failed. It, it is designed to exactly do that, right? Look at the, the dirty, the nitty gritty aspects of education before it gets to Pinterest and Instagram and where people are like, look at all the crazy things I'm doing. It's so great. And it's like, yeah, but look at the kid punching that other kid in the eye, right? That, that's not on camera. And it's okay. It is okay. And that's really what I want to talk about. For those educators who are struggling, it's okay because we've all gone through that. Um, and, and we already know that we're having issues of, of recruiting educators, right? So my, my hope is that if they realize, hey, I, I'm not alone in this journey, go stick it out because it's, it's a normal part of the process. And, and most recently, and I know I said I, I'm all over, 
Uh, most recently, I've started uh, hosting or co-hosting uh, an edu show uh, through school rubric. Uh, it's called Inside the Principal's Office. It's really designed for school leaders, hosted by school leaders, uh, with my good friend Mike, another Mike, uh, uh, McWilliams out of Texas. Um, and that's in its infancy. We've only had two shows, um, so very excited to see where this is going. And we really have plans to make this thing so much bigger than just the show. Um, in fact, we are discussing, and I'm sure we could talk about this as we move forward, um, but a, a, an, edu, an edu leader meetup this summer down in New Orleans and just really giving spaces for edu leaders to get together. Because there's so many spaces for teachers, but not so many for us leaders. I mean, not that there isn't you know, the, the leadership lounge now on Fridays, but I'm, so, I'm, I'm just like all over. It is oh, so, you're good, man. so much fun. You know, but I, f I feel like your life is almost like the Olympic rings. you got all these circles and everything is kind of intertwined and connected, but it all tells your story, which, which kind of fits with the book you're writing, how uh, I think a lot of people that might see you on social media, just see you as this, this guy that's kind of got it all. You're doing it all. And you're kind of just killing it right now, but they don't understand all of the story behind it and how all of these opportunities have emerged and the work that's gone into creating what you have right now. When you were first doing your intro, you, you kind of just glossed over this, but I'm sure other people picked up on it. You said, yeah, when I was hanging out in China, um, my principal called, okay, so you got to fill us in on, <laughs> you can't just gloss over, yeah, I'm a principal over in the West Side of Chicago. When I was hanging out in China, because it's not like you're just cruising through the neighborhood and you ended up in China. So talk us through that real quick. Yeah, yeah. So when I was the assistant principal at a school in Gary, um, we were connected to the Confucius Institute. Um, which allowed Chinese educators to come over from China and to teach our students Chinese, which was one of the craziest things I had ever seen. We went to Valparaiso University um, for the Lunar Festival, and the presenter was up there making jokes in Chinese, and I'm sitting there at the table with my students, and they're all chuckling and laughing, and I'm like, I have no clue what's happening right now. Um, but it was, it was great as we talk about opportunities to provide to uh, students. So through that, I had an opportunity to travel to China for two weeks. Um, and we traveled around the country um, between Shanghai and Beijing. And we were connecting with high schools over there with the purpose of building those partnerships hmm. where we would be able to do, uh, have our students visit them and their students visit us as well as our teachers. Um, and it was really eye-opening just to kind of see their approaches. And one of the conversations and I'll never forget this, is, you know, we were talking about our days, and they mentioned how they teach a few periods a day, and I said, a few periods? Like, what do you do with the rest of your time? And they're like, well, well we plan, and we grade, and we come together, and we assess data. He's like, when do you guys do that? I was like, uh, at home? <laughs> and, you know, he just looked at me like, that is, that is crazy. Um, so it was just a really eye-opening opportunity to see how other places do education. You know, all right. the time, we I think we sit around and we're trying to create new systems when we can kind of look to our neighbors and say, what are you doing that's successful? So we're not spending so much time creating something that already exists elsewhere. Yeah, it's so good. I, I feel like I'm going to say something that's going to come across as an insult, but I wanted to I want you to know I'm saying this with the best compliment ever. You and I um, are very much alike. So that's the statement right there. So <laughs> hopefully you're not offended by that. Absolutely so, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I go back to 2003, back in 2003, I got the, the exact same experience in Japan. Um, I was invited to go to Japan in, in theory because Japanese educators wanted to learn how we do things here in America. But the entire time I was there, 
all I was doing was taking notes after note after note of, oh my gosh, there's so much beauty in the way that they design school around their educators. And they truly do give their educators the time, the space to do the work. And I was just so impressed by that, that when I came back, that became my mission. I, I, I it changed my focus of, of education. And I said, wow, uh, and not, not saying we need to copy everything about their system, but at least the, the respect that they give to educators and how they give educators um, both the platform and the attention and the time to do the work. And I was, I was just blown away by that. So it, it's interesting to say that you saw similar things in your time in China and that it, it kind of opened your eyes as well. But then you said you, you came back and you were kind of just thrown into the principalship and that you um, had to kind of figure that out. You, you walked into administration fairly young. Um, same thing here. I'd been a teacher for seven years, then became an AP and then a principal and spent about 14 years doing administration before I shifted and um, started doing full-time consulting work. I, I'm wondering when you became a principal um, at such a young age with not necessarily in the forefront of your mind of this is what I'm going to do next year, but this is what I have to do next year. What was the biggest struggle? What did you have to overcome? Speaking of failed, what did you have to overcome in those early days, early months, early years of, of leadership? So, you know, I, I think one of the biggest obstacles was just the fact of my age. Whenever I was in spaces, I didn't automatically receive the, and I don't want to use the word respect here, but it was, you're a baby. What do you know? You know, you don't belong in these spaces. Um, So, you know, it, and I, I don't know if respect is the right word, but, you know, people didn't look at me as a leader because of my age. And I think a lot of what I was doing was trying to overcompensate uh, for the fact that, you know, for, for exactly that, for that gap. I mean, I was going to principal conferences and people were looking at me like, why are you here? What are you doing here? Right? Um, and, and so I think I spent so much time and energy and focus kind of trying to prove myself um, that I really didn't take the time to focus on, well, what does it mean to be a leader, right? And, and so that was one of my biggest, I think, flaws in the beginning. So let me, I'm going to interrupt you real quick because I'm, I'm wondering if, if that was a reality or if, if it was your perception. Do you think people, as you look back on it now, do you think people really um, questioned your ability to lead because of your age or was it your self-doubt of these people aren't going to believe in me because I'm so young? You know, Dave, I, I really think it was a combination. Um, yeah. You know, I, I heard some of those comments being said, and I think that's kind of set that, sure. uh, you know, uh, idea that I had. So when I went into other spaces, I immediately carried it with me. Um, you know, and, and still in many cases, right, I, I have staff who are older than me, um, and it doesn't bother me anymore because now I know I carry with myself the experience. So I started focusing more on what do I need to do in order to be a successful leader, kind of learning through those lessons, which is one of the reasons why I was hoping to be in that APC a little bit longer so I could kind of figure out that role. Um, you know, one of the other obstacles that I had was that I quickly became teacher AP principal. So I was now leading people that I was in a classroom with two years mm. ago. You know, and so I struggled with the idea of we're no longer peers, right? We, we're, we have a different relationship. Um, and so that was a struggle as well. And it, it helped. I, I didn't enjoy it at first. Um, when my management company, I'm part of a charter network, 
when I moved to a different school, I was able to kind of start fresh. Yeah. Right? I was able to build those relationships on that new level. And that really, really helped. And so I wish if I would have went back, I would have been able to do that work. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And, and yeah. I go forward with that lesson. And so it's fascinating to hear that and to hear that reflection, uh, because what you just articulated is advice that I've given literally hundreds of people. Um, I feel like oftentimes new administrators, new leaders find comfort, rightly so, find comfort in becoming a leader in the school that they were um, groomed in, that they understand the culture, they, they know all the teachers, they know the initiatives, they know where they're going. But what you just described is such a common phenomenon. Once they, they transitioned from teacher to leader by title. I mean, they were, they were already some sort of leader as teacher uh, because otherwise they wouldn't have gotten that position. But now they're leader by title. They've got the placard. They've got the mini fridge. They got the coffee bar. They got all the things, right? Um, in their heads, they don't know how to make that transition. They don't know how to now create a little bit of space. They don't know how to become friend to feedback provider, to evaluator, to all of those things. And I, I've heard that from people that get their administrator um, opportunities when they're 50 years old. I've heard that from people that get their administrator experience when they're 25 years old. I feel like it is, it's just such a difficult um, obstacle for, for people to manage. But yet I have also heard from people that are 25 to 50 that when they get that first opportunity in a new school, like you said, it's their opportunity to rebrand themselves. It's their, that opportunity to say, I'm new, I'm this is who I am. And that's one less hurdle that they have to try to overcome. Um, it's, it's that perception because what I struggled with was when I became an administrator, I felt like I needed to shift who I was, how I did things to try to earn respect, to try to generate some sort of, I, I don't know. I tried to put myself up on a pedestal so that people would see me on a pedestal or something. I don't know. And it just, it all fell apart so quickly because I was trying to shift who I was and the way I did things based off of the perception I felt everybody else had of me. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, what, what was different when you received the next opportunity? How did you do things differently? You know, I, I think, I don't know if I so much changed as a person, but like I said, you know, those, those relationships were different. Yeah. You were able to brand yourself differently, as you mentioned. And so I was able to go in there and just say, okay, here are my ideas, here are my philosophies, right? Because you don't know who I am. And, and, and so really being able to create that and it wasn't a unique building. Um, you know, we had students from, from all over the world. Um, it was actually a refugee school in Chicago. So as students fled their country, this, this is where they came. Um, and so again, it just continued to build me up as a leader to be able to say, okay, how do you operate in such a diverse school? I mean, we had 40 something ninth graders within the same building, um, even different dialects. Um, you know, we had students who spoke Hmong, but you know, you spoke one dialect, you spoke another. So I, didn't even get assistance there. So really figuring out how to navigate this extremely diverse um, community and building. And so I just really started taking, I guess, lessons from those spaces and, and building it on to who I was. Um, and then my management company, unfortunately, right, we kind of, they said, hey, we need you to fix these things, get it together. And I did. And they're like, cool, now we need you over here. And I was like, I, for, a, for a while, I joked, I was like, I'm not the fixer. Right? I hated that because I, I never really felt that I was able to gain traction. Yeah. Um, but the building I'm in now, this is my fifth year there. Um, and this is really where I felt like, yeah, I, I'm making a name for myself and getting really comfortable as an educator, as an educational leader. Um, because the school was 
was hurting. I mean, they threw me in, and my very first like board meeting was like, "All right, the school's about to close." I was like, "What? Wait, what? Like, why am I? You know, you're, you're setting me up for failure." But I'm happy to announce, obviously, the school isn't closed. Um, we, we've done remarkably well. But again, it, it showed me that it, it was in this space that I really learned the power of culture and mm. relationships. Um, you know, I share the story that I went in for academics, right? We got to change the curriculum and make sure we get these teachers. And we did all, like textbook stuff. And then at the end of the year, our scores didn't move. It was like, wait, what's going on? And then we have this thing called the Five Essential Survey. And it, it really looks at the culture of the school. And what I quickly realized. Yeah, so I, I quickly realized that, you know, it's not about just academics and, and curricula, right? It, it's about that culture because nobody wanted to be there. Students didn't want to be there. Staff didn't want to be there. Nobody felt comfortable being there. So we really poured in and we adopted, right, this SEL mindset. And suddenly everything changed, mm. right? In the first year, our attendance skyrocketed. We were at about 93. We went up to about 97. We were one of the highest rates in the entire city. And people were asking, well, what did you do? What, what's your trick? And I was like, it wasn't a trick. We just made school a place to be where people wanted to be, right? We loved on our staff. We loved on our students. And now because they're there and they feel comfortable there, we started seeing our scores right. take off. I mean, math went from like the 18th percentile to the 48th percentile. And it was like, it wasn't a magic, right? We didn't really focus on the curriculum. It was just, we made school a place. And, and so that is really helped me now is where I am at um, to, to, to really look at schools in a different way. Like, are we doing what's best for our students? Are we doing what's best for our staff? Because that's something I, I, I tell leaders all the time. You've talked a lot about what your staff should do with your students, but are you doing those things for your staff? Yeah. And so really focusing in on that, and that has been really the basis of a lot of the work that I've been doing. Um, you know, we've, I've been presenting this keynote about colorblindness and equity in schools. Um, you know, we, we talk about right now, I'm finalizing a, a presentation about using uh, talking circles to cultivate community. And these are all different aspects and tools that we've been exploring and just trying to make our school a better place to be, like I said, for both students and staff. And I keep wanting yeah. to stress that. And staff, you cannot forget about your students. Yeah, I, 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 there's so much of that that I, I, I love. First of all, I'll start with that last statement. I think so often as administrators, as leaders, we make the statement that we're going to do whatever we can for our kids and that every decision we make is student-centered. And that's spot on and it's right and exactly what we need to be saying. But I think oftentimes we use that as an excuse to then, I'll, I'll just be blunt, abuse our educators, to abuse our teachers. We say, I'm doing this for the kids. So teachers, you got to get on board. And, and our teachers are just left floundering. So I love the fact that you say students and staff, they're, that they're part and parcel. Second piece I want to address is what we do, they do, right? We can't keep saying educators, teachers, you have to do this, but then we don't do it. If we expect our teachers to greet every student at the door, we better be greeting every teacher at the door. If we say that we need to be showing respect and kindness to all of the students and that every single student, uh, that every teacher needs to know every student's name and know their families and know their traditions and their cultures and what's going on at home, we need to do the same thing for our staff. If we expect our teachers to be calling kids, um, call, calling kids families, we need to be calling the families of our staff. All the things, like you just, I love everything that you just, you just said. But the part that really resonated with me the most is a place that I think so many people 
need to embrace and hear. Yeah, I, I know in education, we chase the mighty score. We chase the, the reading proficiencies and the math proficiencies and all that. I do a lot of work on standards-based grading. I, I get it. I understand the purpose behind all that. But I've seen too many schools set those up as the goals. They'll write in the school improvement plans, we're going to increase um, student proficiency by five percentage points this year in, in reading or five percentage points in math. As though that's something that a teacher can go in and say, today, kids, we're going to be working on increasing our proficiency by five points. That's the most ludicrous thing ever. Yes. It's like in my own life, if I say I want to get healthy and this year I want to, um, I want to drop some weight and I want to um, lower my cholesterol. And if I just wake up every day and say, today's the day I'm going to lower my cholesterol, that doesn't do me any good, right? But if I say I'm going to go out and I'm going to run 25 miles a week, that's something I can measure, something I can do, something I can really get closer to. And then the byproduct is my cholesterol will drop. My, my overall health will increase. And that's exactly what you've done in your schools. You said, let's focus on these things that we have intimate control over, the things that truly matter. Let's make school a place where kids want to come, where staff want to come. When people want to be here, we'll love on them, we'll pour into them, we'll make sure that they know that we care for them. And then learning will happen. It's the byproduct. It's not the thing that we're knocking down walls for. So kudos to you for nailing it and identifying that truly the secret sauce, the magic pill that we've all been seeking You've got it. <laughs> you've, you've, I love that, man. I love it. So good. You know, I think we're going to get under attack by some people. Like learning is a byproduct. I, I just want to like hold on to that because I can already see people like, what? No, that is the perfect. No, it is a byproduct of what. Yeah. I love, yeah. love that. I mean, if you, I, I, this is a, it's a, it's a sad example because I don't want to say life is like a superhero movie, but um, in every superhero movie, the smartest person in the movie is the villain. So we can't just say it's all about just giving kids intelligence because we could do that. That doesn't mean they're going to be the grow up to be the superhero. They could end up on the other side of the movie. So we want to make sure that our kids get all the knowledge possible to go out and change the world to make it better. And I feel like that's exactly what you're doing, man. You're, you're out there, you're changing destinies, you're changing a generation. And I love that you've identified that for yourself. It's taken you five years to build this culture, to finally get yourself to this place where you've got confidence in your staff and your students and yourself now, and you're out there just singing this from the, from the rooftops. So you're saying, Hey, just listen to what I'm telling you guys. It's working here. And if it's working here, it can work anywhere. So oh, you're, you're, you're doing it, man. You're doing it. Awesome. So what is next for you? You're out there, you're killing life right now. Um, you are doing all the things you are saying all the right things. You're inspiring all the people. Where do you go from here? You know, I, I don't really think that it's, it's a transition. I, right now, I, I look at it as more of how do I continue doing this work? Um, you know, my, my staff at the building, and, and I tell them all the time, they're terrified I'm going to leave. They're like, please don't leave us. You know, we see you doing this. We see you doing that. Please don't go anywhere. And I'm like, I, I have no intentions on going anywhere. Um, you know, I, I think the work that I'm doing in my school is, is far from complete, and I want to continue in that space. Um, not to mention that I really, when I transitioned from, from teacher to leader, I, I missed being in the classroom, right? And so I take every opportunity that I can get. I'll pop into classrooms, I'll run lessons because I miss that, right? Teachers a lot of times are like, oh, thank you. And I'm like, yeah, it's also for me because I miss doing it. Um, you know, and I really am afraid that if I step away from teaching completely and, and just diving into something else, I, I'm going to lose that connection. Yeah. And, and I really don't want to do that. So, you know, I think for the next several years, I can see me continuing just to get better and better. You know, like I said, our school has come a long way, for example, but there are still areas we are doing 
a lot of work right now where we're reading uh, Zaretta Hammond's uh, Culturally Responsive Teaching of the Brain. And still when we're having conversations around the role that race plays in schools, it becomes a very difficult conversation to have. And I, I see my staff kind of clamp up when we don't talk about it, it, it despite the, um, the, the relationships that we have cultivated. And so I know that there is still work that needs to be done. Um, folks, I'm going to pause there. Yeah, so, you know, we, we have these conversations and people just don't talk. Like, I, we create these spaces for conversations to take place. And then all I hear is crickets, right? And it, it's so infuriating because I know and I've heard them, you know, they're texting each other and having these conversations. You know, when we're in small groups and I'm popping around in the Google breakout rooms, I could hear the conversations. So when we come back to the wider space, it, it's so, to me, it's infuriating. Yeah. Because we talk about these conversations need to be had. We've worked so hard to build this family, and yet this is still a topic that we can't touch. Um, and, you know, I, I've kind of pointed it out here and there. You know, last meeting, one of my staff members was like, sorry that I'm talking so much. And I was like, well, you're being provided the space. Like, hint, hint, people, like, come on, let's, let's have a conversation. But it's, they're, they're just so... And I don't want to use the word afraid, but I, I don't know what else it is because you're clearly comfortable having these conversations in certain spaces. Right. But even in our overall space, you're not willing to step forward and to say, you know, to speak your truth. I, I think this is an interesting conversation and something I, I want to dive into a little bit more. And to be, to be fair, you might not necessarily have answers to these things I'm going to be presenting. So even if, if people that are listening want to just respond somehow, some way. I feel like it's a it's an important conversation for us to have right now, because what you're describing right now with your school is not just your school. I see this in schools all across America, really all across the world. We see these conversations or the lack of conversations taking place. We see this on social media where and so I'm a firm believer that I don't block people. I don't block people on social media. If you're willing to engage with me, I'll respond back to you and tell you to slide in my DMs and we'll continue the conversation or you can, I'll give you my cell phone number. and We can talk, but I'm not going to block you. Um, if you want to spew ignorance, spew your ignorance. And, you know, I, I believe in the, the parable from the Bible, you know, sometimes you got to speak up just so people can, can see you're a fool. So I'll let you keep, keep speaking and reveal your, your foolishness. But so many times in schools, we're afraid of having any conversation that we think will ruffle the feathers of others. We're afraid to have conversations about equity and race. We're afraid to have um, conversations. We're afraid to have conversations about grading because we're afraid it will reflect our values versus somebody else's values. We're, we're so afraid to have the critical conversations, which is why I, I'm a firm believer. This is why uh, the, the role of the assistant principal and the principal will never disappear in schools because sometimes they're the ones that are designated to have those crucial conversations with parents and with students that teachers don't want to have with teachers, I'm sorry, with parents and students. But I don't know why. I don't know why we were in this place where we're afraid to have the conversations. Is it because we're afraid that somebody will change our minds? Is it because as educators, we're taught that we're supposed to have all of the answers and we're afraid that if we enter in those conversations, it might reveal that we don't have the answers. Is it simply a, a fear of offending and not wanting to upset the apple cart? Is it because we're so used to working in silos that anytime those walls are knocked down, we're not quite sure how to interact. I, I, I mean, is it all of these things? I don't, I don't know. Are educators a microcosm of society as a whole? Again, I don't know. But I think that we need people like you out there really 
poking that bear and starting the conversations and not, not really stirring the pot, but giving people the space to say, let's just talk. Let's make your school is like the planet fitness of schools. It's the judgment free zone. Let's just come in, look at each other, have the conversations and leave loving, right? Why is it? Why, why is it so hard? You know, I, I think you, you, you touched on some, some good points. Recently, when I've been having this conversation, um, even though it's fairly new, I've been attributing it to this idea of cancel culture, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody is so afraid to say the wrong thing and offending the wrong person, and then suddenly they're blacklisted. Um, you know, and I think that goes back to what you were saying is that nobody wants to offend anybody. But the problem is, is that if we all kind of tiptoe around subjects and pacify each other and deliver platitudes, nothing is ever going to change. Like we, we sit around and we complain about you know, all of these things, right? The, the grading and, and assessments and, and equity. And, but then we don't, so few of us are willing to do the actual work. So nothing ever changes. And, you know, your, your wheels are just spinning. Like, you know, we, we hop on Twitter and we have these Twitter chats and it's like, yeah, we're all saying these great things and we all feel good. But what do you do with that? Like it, it can't, it cannot stop there. And, and that's even in those spaces. And I, I think we, we've talked about you have to create a safe space for brave conversations, right? Yeah. And in our Twitter groups, it, it's easy when we all have the same mindset, right? When I'm saying something to somebody who I know is going to agree, I can open up and say whatever. But as you mentioned earlier, if, if I'm in a space where I don't know and I have to become vulnerable, I'd rather sit there in silence because now you don't know what I don't. Yeah. You know, and so I think it's, it's just all of those things coming together and we were really trying to slowly break that down. In fact, one of the conversations that has been happening and, and I take them to Twitter space I, and I tell my people like, you know, this, where this is going. Um, it was the idea of, is it okay to teach kids to fail? Right. And, and so I think in edgy spaces a lot, it's like, no, we always say it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail. And so now there's this conversation, at least in my school of, well, are we saying that it's okay to fail? What does failure mean? Is that the end zone? How do we teach through failure? And it's like, I'm sitting there like, yes, finally we're having these conversations because it's not just about a feel good motto. It's about what does this look like in our building? Yeah. Um, and, and so I think one of the things for anybody listening to this is that it's going to be frustrating, but you got to keep pushing. Yeah. You got to keep giving that space and pushing and eventually, I think those conversations are going to take place. I've recognized they're taking place in pockets. Right now, I'm just trying to figure out how do we take those pocket conversations and bring it overall into the, into the bigger group. But I still have to appreciate we're finally having those tough conversations. Right. You know, and I think the other side of that, and this is just me trying to figure out how to navigate, is that I am very open about where I stand. And I think anybody who's ever been in any position, you kind of want to appease, you know, your, your superiors, your bosses, mm -hmm. you know, the leadership, because if I say something that clashes with your ideals, am I going to have a job, mm -hmm. you know, and if for any of my staff listening, and I continue to say this, no, I want that, right? I, I want to know where you're thinking, because sometimes it's not me. I don't have all the answers, right? I don't. And I love the fact that my Dean and I, we spend so many hours having these conversations where we, we push each other's comfort zones and boundaries. And it's not about who's right, who's wrong. It's about learning and opening your mind and, and getting new ideas. And so I, I think that's what we need to do. We need to get over the fact that 
yes, you're going to offend somebody and that is okay. Like you said earlier, Hey, mm -hmm. we're going to offend one another, but also know that you're not expected to know everything. There are right. no experts out there. So if anybody claims to be an expert, like there's an issue there, right? Right. We're just yeah. experts. And, you know, you talk about we're seeing this in pockets and I want to I want to celebrate that. Yeah, we are seeing this in pockets. And I think what what we're talking about right now is a way to grow it. We want people to recognize that these conversations are happening in places. So those people that are excited and intrigued by this, it, you can start these conversations. But I think one, one of the stumbling blocks that some some people have, you kind of identified it's the system with a capital S or the organization with a capital O, not necessarily their own school, but schools, plural where we've created this system where we say, yeah, we're going to celebrate failure, but teachers, you can't mess up because I'm going to use it against you and I'm going to evaluate you. Students, you can fail, but it's going to end up in the grade book. We, we say we want transparency, we want risk-taking, we want vulnerability, but it's at your own expense. So good luck. Are you willing to take that chance? Because it, not even just ideas clashing, not even saying you disagree with me in terms of some of these big picture things like equity and race and all of those culture things that are so important. We're not even talking politics and religion here. We're talking, is it okay to have a bad lesson on one day out of the year? And that happened to be the day that your administrator walks through the door and sees an epic mess. Are, are we willing to, to tell people that that's an opportunity for feedback and growth? Or do we use that as an opportunity to ding somebody? Are we so focused on identifying weaknesses and trying to bring those to average? Or are we looking for people's strengths and trying to make those things stellar? And I think that's the difference. We have to get ourselves to a place in schools. We are so focused on not just creating commodities where everybody is the same, but that everybody's uniqueness is celebrated and, and triumphed, right? Where that, that's, what we're, that's what we're after. We talk about differentiation. We talk about meeting the needs of kids. It's also recognizing individual strengths, abilities, and supersizing those. And the same with our staff. We try to make all of our staff equal on 22 indicators on a rubric. We want everybody to be effective. We want all students to be proficient as, as, as if that's what society needs. No, society doesn't need a bunch of people all marching in step, doing the same things, locking arms. We want everybody to be celebrating who they are. And it's up to us as the leadership to tap into that and figure out who individuals are, which means celebrate where we disagree and own it, but give people that voice and that platform, man. So you're killing it. You're killing it. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad we're connected because <laughs> you fire me up. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to do, I think, what is right, you know? Yeah. And it's on, it's becoming unapologetic about it. It's, these are conversations that need to be had. So if nobody else is going to have them, I'm going to try to push those. those. It was my one word, right, for 2020. It was challenge. And not just my. <laughs> so it's your fault. Hold on. So 2020 <laughs> is your fault? You brought challenge on all of us? Oh, okay. So, I've been looking so for someone to blame. There we go. <laughs> But, you know, I, I don't want to just challenge myself. I want to challenge those around us, you know, or around me and in other spaces. Like, and that that is my goal, right? I'm just yeah. going to continue pushing people because the moment we become comfortable and complacent, we, we, we're we going to fail. And yeah, so we it's good. We can't do that. That's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. So, you know, I, I give all of my guests the opportunity. I, I can't wait to hear what you're going to say for this. Um, towards the end of our conversations, for you to to drop the mic. You know, you do a lot of speaking. You said that you've got speaking engagements already scheduled throughout the course of this year. You've already completed a few. So I want you to imagine right now that you've got 7 billion people on planet earth sitting in an auditorium, listening to you speak microphone in hand, man. And you, you've just delivered the most epic speech of your life, but you're about to walk off the stage and you're going to drop that mic and jaws are going to drop. 
no pressure here whatsoever. No, no, but but what what is it that you want people to remember about you, this conversation, where to go next? What is what is your mic drop moment? How does all of this get wrapped up for you? You know, I, I think the biggest thing that I tell people all the time is you have to be again unapologetically you. Yeah. You know, we we push so hard, and I think people try so hard to be people that they're not mm. um, in the in these spaces. And that's exhausting work, right? So figure out what it is that you believe in, figure out what it is that you are willing to fight for and, and just go for it. Boom. Like you are going to come across people who disagree with you. You're going to come across people who, who think that what you're doing is a bad idea. But if this is something that you are passionate about, then I need you to push forward, you know? And that's it. Like it has taken me a long time to become comfortable sitting in spaces where people don't want me there. It's taken me a long time to become comfortable saying the things that I know people don't want me to say. But once I became comfortable in those spaces, once I became comfortable saying those things, it has changed the world for me because yeah. I can be who I am and not worry about, am I, is my message being consistent, right? Because, oh, I was trying to, to appease you this day and try to appease this group that day. Mm. No, my message is going to be the same regardless of where I'm at. And yeah, I'm going to upset people. I'm going to offend people. And I mean, it, it's going to happen. So I think people just need to do that. Become comfortable with who you are and, and do the work that needs to be done. Good stuff. I'm going to put that on repeat. I'm just going to listen to that. The next time I go for a run, I'm going to listen to that one minute on loop, man, and just keep on playing that and hearing that and be comfortable who you are. I love that. Sit in a space. You've gotten yourself to the place where you are comfortable sitting in spaces where nobody wants you there, but you're going to stay authentically you. Man, that is, mm, that's good stuff. That's powerful. Love it, love it, love it. And I, I'm sure there's other people that heard that and like, oh my gosh, I need to hear that again. I need to connect with this guy. How can people connect with you? How can they get in touch with you? How could they hear that in person or through a computer screen or whatever that might look like? How do people connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm all over on Twitter. I know I've mentioned Twitter a few times. Uh, so you can find me there at underscore CW Consulting. Um, and, I, you know, I failed to mention, um, you know, I really, really talk about, you know, is the podcast. But the podcast is a huge space. Like if you just want to hear not just mine, because it, it, it bounces. I, I do pause to ponder moments um, where it's just my reflections. But I bring on change agents, people who are doing this hard work. Yeah. Um, and so you could be able to connect with other educators. So you can find the counter narrative podcast across all different platforms, Spotify, Anchor, Google, Apple, um, you know, but I would recommend that. And then of course the new space, especially for edu leaders out there, please join inside the principal's office. You could join, we have a Facebook group created, uh, find us there and join that uh, space to have conversations or join us every other Saturday. Uh, the next one is on the 20th of March. Um, and then it's every other Saturday from there, but join us on Saturday mornings as we have these conversations that I think that you leaders need to have. Sweet. Awesome. People, I, I'm going to encourage you connect with this man, connect with him. Even if you just want to be that, that passive observer on the sidelines, just listening, observing, getting built up, getting affirmed, getting validated or getting your buttons pushed, man. This is, this is, this is the man to connect with because he will fire you up. He will empower you to go out and change your world so that you can change the world. Charles, I, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you getting up so bright and early to have this conversation. I appreciate you uh, just sitting in this space and being connected with me. And I appreciate you, your willingness to share your story from China 
to Chicago and all points in between, man. You're killing it, and, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you, Dave. Thanks for giving me the space. Thank you for checking out this episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. Your support means the world to me. I would love to continue to connect with you. Feel free to reach out to me at Dave Schmidt on all the things. Connect with me online at schmidt or shoot me an email, david.schmidt at gmail.com.